Well, I wonder what people would think of Jesus. For many non-Christians, they would probably think something like, he's a nice guy. He's a do-gooder, which is good because he was nice <laughs> and he did good. But I think a lot of people's image of Jesus is, uh, we'll be able to put the um, pictures on, Richard, would that be right? Uh, uh, this guy. This is Robert Powell uh, from, who directed it? Was it Frank Zeffirelli? And I think a lot of people have this picture of Jesus in their mind when they think of the person of Jesus. They think of Robert Powell, the actor. I think this was uh, the late 70s. Uh, and actually a very two-dimensional Jesus. Just a Jesus on a screen, on a picture. But I think if we're honest, even for Christians, sometimes uh, Jesus can be, can be not that much more. We may know the gospel accounts of his life. We may be able to recount parables. We believe he died and rose. But do, do we really understand him? Do we really understand Jesus? And when I say that, I don't mean intellectually. There's no entrance uh, exam for heaven. It's not a test. It's not an academic thing. But does our understanding of him show in our lives? Um, There was, uh, do you remember the comedian Jasper Carrot from a while ago? Jasper Carrot talked about his mother driving. It was quite an experience, he said. Uh, And she knew you had to look in your mirrors and then pull out. It didn't matter if anything was coming. She looked in her mirrors and so therefore it was okay to pull out. So she understood what she had to do but hadn't yet applied it to her life. It's a slightly flippant way of thinking. Actually, do we just understand something or do we actually apply it uh, and live it out? And uh, if you need a picture of a wing mirror, there is one there. One writer said, the gospel is a life to be lived, not just an ideal to be contemplated. A life to be lived, not just an ideal to be be contemplated. In fact, Graham Tomlin, in his book uh, on page 188, said very uh, um, short way, where is it, 182, 3, it's jumping around. It's gone. There it is. The church is intended to offer not another set of ideas, but another way of living. We're not short of ideas, we're short sometimes of action. So let's look at some action here from uh, John chapter 13. And I particularly want to look at this question uh, in, uh, in verse 12. So Jesus washing feet. Here we are, and he's done this feet washing. And there's a particular question, and he says, Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? Well, let's, we need to look at what he actually did. So let's have a look. We see down here at verses 4 to 11. One person says, this is an enacted parable. As we know, Jesus was a master storyteller and probably would have told something like this. Imagine there was a, a rabbi who washed his disciples' feet. They'd all say, oh, that's the wrong way around. And instead of telling the story, he actually acts it out. And as I read through this, I thought, actually, it incorporates all of these aspects of these nine chapters that we looked at here. If you look in the the beginning here, we've got issues of the cross and wisdom, evil, power, identity, suffering, ambition, failure, reconciliation, 
and life. It covers all those things and more. But the way Jesus is so brilliant is he, he subverts or, or, or flips them on their head for each one of them. So just ticking, out, ticking down these things. When it comes to wisdom, if you want to look wise, don't do a job of an uneducated person. So he's, he's subverting it, saying, well, actually, true wisdom isn't what you think it is. When it comes to the issue of evil and sin, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, an outer cleansing, pointing to a deeper, fundamental spiritual cleansing. The issue of power. If you want to show power, don't act like a slave, the one with no power. We looked at the issue of identity. Who are we? Jesus was so sure of his status before God. You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. He could do even the most menial and grotty of tasks. Dan very helpfully helped us to look at the issue of suffering. Uh, And uh, foot washing was a humiliating thing to do, save for the lowest of the low. But it was only a shadow of the suffering to come for Jesus just hours later. As for the cross and ambition, Sarah helped us thinking about that. Do you remember in Mark 10 where the disciples were saying, basically, hey God, hey Jesus, can we have the best seats in your house? One of us on your right, one of us on your left in glory. And Jesus very graciously says, you don't even know what you're talking about. They were ambitious for glory. And at the end of that little passage says, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we've sung the Servant King uh, at least once in this, in this Lent course. We also looked at the issue of the cross and failure. Jesus washed Judas's feet as well. And as for recon- reconciliation, can you look down in verse 8 where Peter being Peter says, you got it wrong, God, you want to do it my way, Jesus. Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus here saying we all need to be washed because we are all alienated in our very nature from God. Another shorter quote from Graham this time where he says, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. At the foot of the cross The ground is level. We are all in the same boat when it comes to God. We are all at the bottom of an infinitely high ladder that we have no ability to climb on our own. And finally, from this last chapter here, we're talking about the cross and life. The way to life in Jesus' land is the way of service and ultimately leads to death. Jesus takes all these things and subverts them turns them around, turns them on their head. But actually, if you flick back a bit, you think, why does he do these things, or what's he doing? In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only see what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Let's just pause to reflect on that a minute. Jesus says, I only do the things that I see my Father doing. What's Jesus doing? He's doing the job of the uneducated slave in an act of humiliation. Why? Well, we're told at the beginning, he showed them the full extent 
of his love. One writer says very helpfully, in the story of the foot washing then, we have the most profound revelation of the heart of God apart from the crucifixion itself. It wasn't just about a bit of a foot bath, a foot cleansing. There was something deep and fundamental going on here. So what did he do? He enacted this parable. He flipped it all on his head. Well, why did he do it? Well, looking down at the the remainder of the, the passage there from 12 to 17, we have this question which I referred to before. So when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Here's the question. Do you understand what I have done for you? Now, in in the Bible, when a question is asked, it's like the writer's just stuck a little flag in the text saying, look out. There's something coming that you need to pay great attention to. So go back, way back to to Exodus, where the encounter with, uh, with Moses and God And he says to him, Moses, what have you got on your hand? Now, it's not because he couldn't see or because Moses had it hiding behind his back. He's saying, look out, here comes the teaching point. Here comes the thing to pay attention to. So when a question is asked, we should think, what's coming next? Because his teaching point is emphasised three times. Just popping back on the screen there. Uh, You know, if you want to emphasise something in writing, you can either do bold or italic. Or underline. If it's in bold and italics is really important. If it's bold, italic, underline, you better pay attention. You know, look in your rearview mirror, check if there's anything coming, and then pull out. That's the kind of thing. Well, look down at the passage here. Jesus does bold, italic, underline. Because he says, look down at verse um, well, yeah, verses 13 onwards. You call me teacher and lord. And rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also wash one another's feet. Then skip to verse 16. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So bold, italic, underline, teacher or Lord and disciple, master and servant, sender and messenger. The point being, get on and do it. If I can do it, you should do it. And then he says, verse 17, this is the one. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you think about them and write about them in Bible studies. No, sorry, if you do them. (laughs) Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So is Jesus telling us to go and wash everybody's feet? Now, I'm going to let you into a secret. I don't even like my own feet. So if you think I'm washing yours, you've got another thing coming. I have done it, but it's not pleasant. But the point is here. Look down at verse 15. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He doesn't say what I have done for you. Because my little sinful heart would say, I'll man up, I'll wash some feet, and that's where it will stop. If it's just about foot washing, we've, we've kind of missed the point. It may well be foot washing, even for people like me. But he says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
the heart motivation to do that kind of thing. And this brings us right back to our understanding. We can really only understand it if we actually do it. If we actually are putting ourselves in situations where we need to do this sort of stuff. The grotty, the menial, the self-denying jobs. But not just the jobs, actually a heart attitude towards other people. This is where the, uh, the rubber hits the road or the, the hands hit the feet, as the case may be. And it links back to the, to the penultimate chapter of, of Graham Tomlin's book there. About Jesus opened a way uh, uh, to reconciliation by the cross. So he, the whole point about reconciliation, it assumes that there is alienation. Because I don't have anything to reconcile with... Uh, my friend James, I hope, <laughs> my friend and colleague, there's not a great big barrier between us. But there was, and there is, between people and God, except for the grace of God. As I said, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, even Judas. He didn't go around each one and say, not you, you've got it in for me, I'll go to somebody else. He washed their feet. But isn't it wonderful? You will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. There's a blessing here, not just a grin and bear it. So the question is, will, will we do as he did? And do you know what one writer says very, very brilliantly? Once you've washed somebody else's feet, it's hard, if not impossible, to take a superior attitude towards that person. Isn't that Brilliant. If you've washed someone's feet, now let's extend that. If you've washed someone's feet, perhaps metaphorically, and are prepared to do that, then it's very hard to be superior to them. Remembering that we're the, the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Are we prepared to do as he did? This stuff is amazing enough. But the actions, Jesus' actions of Monday, Thursday could be called this. It could be the night he washed his disciples' feet. Couldn't it? Or it could be the night he had dinner with his friends. Or it could be the night he reinterpreted the Passover. But actually, what does Paul call it? 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed... To help us think about this as we, as we come into land, can we show a picture, please, of, uh, of this crown? Uh, this crown here. Uh, I don't know which part of the crown jewels that is, but it's a glittering crown, sparkling things. But if you've ever been to see the crown jewels or expensive jewellery and this, this kind of stuff, it doesn't tend to be placed on a white backcloth. It's put on dark velvet. Deep, royal, dark velvet. And the point being here that John 13 is, is amazing enough with wonderful depths and wonderful truths of this amazing thing that Jesus did for his disciples and tells us to go and do. But it was on the night he was betrayed. There's blackness, there's darkness. Look down verse 2. John drops it in, uh, is it two or three times? Let's have a look. Verse 2. Uh, the devil had already prompted Jesus to betray, uh, sorry, already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. 
And then verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. Verse 21, after he said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me, even over the page right at the end of the chapter. Verse 38, will you really lay down your life for me? He says to the hothead, I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, you will disown me. The whole of John 13 is set against a dark backdrop of betrayal and disowning. And yet, Jesus washes their feet. I am humbled to the dust with that. Do I understand it? And I'll leave us with this question. I'd like us to take two or three minutes in silence by ourselves. Do you understand what I've done for you? Because if the penny really drops from head to heart, then it changes everything. And so often Paul says, you know, forgive as you have been forgiven. It's very hard to forgive others if you don't know you're forgiven yourself. It's very hard to wash other people's feet and do those sort of things if you haven't been washed by the Lord, so to speak. Do you, do I, really understand what Jesus has done for us on this most precious of nights, Monday, Thursday, where Jesus loved his disciples to the end and by his Holy Spirit loves us too. Let's take a couple of minutes to reflect on this.